0: Our Holy Week observances were disrupted this year. Not that we are unacquainted with disruptions, given what we've experienced in the last 12 to 14 months. But since the the journey, in terms of our observance of it, has been a little bit fragmented, I thought we would just take a moment to get the story of the passion of Jesus in order this morning. We start at Lazarus' tomb, where Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. He has demonstrated that he has power over life and death here at Lazarus' house, and he is heading toward the place where that demonstration will happen again in a different kind of way. At Lazarus' tomb, Jesus calls Lazarus forth by the power of God. He enters Jerusalem to cheers after that. He eats a final meal with his disciples. He's betrayed by one of his closest friends. He endures a rigged trial. He is brutalized, humiliated, tortured, and mocked. He is nailed to a cross, crucified until he's dead. After the event at Calvary, God will call forth his son to everlasting glory. Death will finally be defeated. But think about that road the road that Jesus will have to travel to get to Easter morning. I can't see myself traveling this road. I don't know how any of us can put ourselves in his place. Even though we know Jesus is the example for all of us, how could we imagine the road that he's walking this past week? And and we want to know how it's possible for even Jesus to do it since we can't place ourselves in his shoes. It's too much. It's too hard. It's too frightening. We want to know how Jesus managed to get through this period of time, knowing every moment that he was facing death. I mean, was this, was this simple? Was it simple for Jesus just because... You know, the God part of Jesus allowed him just to waltz his way through this week. Um, I don't think that's the record. I think this was extremely hard for Jesus. This is what Hebrews 4 and 14 says. Therefore... even the worst things we face, because he has also faced the worst. This wasn't easy for Jesus. His divine nature didn't offer any shortcuts to him. There's another scripture that helps us to understand what is happening this last week of the earthly life of Jesus. Peter's sermon on Pentecost is the earliest statement of what happened to Jesus. This is Acts 2.25. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You heard the words, God raised Jesus from the dead. Acts 2.32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. God raised Jesus to life. Why does this matter? Well, think about this with me. If God raised Jesus from the dead, and Jesus doesn't raise himself by his own power, well, that means that Jesus really is dead. It means that unless God the Father raises him, Jesus stays dead, helpless to raise himself. And that means Jesus really is just like you and me. When we face death, the only chance we have at eternal life is if God the Father raises us from the dead. And if Jesus is really going to face all the temptations that we face, he is really going to, well, he's going to have to put himself completely in our position. And this is part of why Jesus comes to earth in the first place, right? He wants to fully identify with us. He wants to walk in our shoes to demonstrate to us that he understands what it's like to be us. He wants to demonstrate to us the way we should live in the face of all the trials and temptations that we commonly encounter. And none of our trials and temptations are greater than the trials and temptations that surround our death. We are scared to death of death. We go to great extremes to avoid it. We go to crazy lengths to extend life, even for just a few minutes or days. We base many of our decisions on the attempt to keep death at arm's length for ourselves and for our family members. That's how it should be. To the extent that life is a gift from God to us, and it is, death is our enemy. It is the enemy of Jesus as well, for death destroys his creation, that is, us. And death on this day is hunting for Jesus as well. But Jesus shows us how to face death, and I personally am amazed at how he does it. This manner of living in the face of death teaches us something. I think what it teaches us is that Jesus, even while he's alive, manages to conquer his fear of death. Look at the details. Jesus marches straight into Jerusalem in broad daylight, humbly riding a donkey, knowing the Jewish leaders are after him. Jesus makes a a statement about the temple, cleaning out those who had overrun the court of the Gentiles and turning it into a marketplace. Jesus prays through the night, He wants to avoid torture and death, the inevitable torture and death the cross will bring, but acquiesces to the will of the Father. Jesus meets with his disciples. Just before being arrested, he washes their feet. He also predicts his death. He doesn't need to be pampered when facing his greatest trial. And then Jesus goes with his disciples to the place where he will be arrested. He knows what's going to happen, but he goes anyway. He stops the violent response to his arrest by healing the ear of the servant that one of the disciples has cut off. And then he is accused, traumatized, tortured. He doesn't protest or say anything. Just as Isaiah predicted, just as a lamb who is led to the slaughter is silent, Jesus doesn't scream or shout or protest or anything. He allows armed soldiers to flog him to place a ring of thorns on his head, to nail him to a cross. Make no mistake, this he permits. He endures the agony of the cross, being raised to the heavens. Then the physical anguish of the thud the cross makes, tearing at his hands and feet, as gravity slams it into the hole in the ground dug to receive the wooden cross. And there he dies Naked, humiliated, seemingly defeated. But it is only defeat to those who don't understand what's really going on. This is the Jesus who, by the power of the Father, calms storms, heals the blind, heals the leper and the lame, feeds the multitude, raises the dead. If even the creation obeys his word, surely he can stop these proceedings at any time he chooses. There are several times recorded in scripture where Jesus walks right through crowds and makes his escape. Once in Luke 4.30, the angry crowd walks up to Jesus to takes him to the very edge of a cliff to kill him. But he walks right through them and escapes. In John 10 39, the Jewish officials attempt to seize him in the temple, but he eludes their grasp and just simply walks away. Jesus has the power to go wherever and whenever he wants to go, which means we should have the, we should assume that he has a power on this day to walk away from all this suffering, to walk right through their minds if he just simply had a mind to do so. So if Jesus has the ability to walk away, but doesn't, This shouts to me, Jesus does not fear death. He doesn't enjoy pain. He'd rather find another way to do this in his humanity. That's what the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane is all about. But once it's determined that this is the way it must go, Jesus is all in. He allows himself to be arrested because he doesn't fear death. He heals the servant's ear because he is not obsessing with his own death. He has time to care for others even when racing toward his own death because he does not fear death. He has no need to defend his honor because he knows that death doesn't touch his honor. He is not afraid. He deals calmly and sensibly with those around him, even Pontius Pilate, because if death has no ultimate power over him, Pontius Pilate certainly has no power over him. He permits soldiers to torture him, injure him, kill him, because he doesn't fear death. He doesn't lash out at the soldiers. He doesn't fight back. He doesn't claim self-defense and destroy his attackers. He doesn't slip away. He doesn't react violently. He just doesn't fear death. In fact, he's so conscious of what's going around him, he has the ability, while he's standing right at death's door, to deal with the other's needs that are nearby him. And a repentant thief gains access to heaven, and a mother is provided a caretaker, and we, all of us, who would be completely absorbed in our own death, find it amazing that he's able to think about anything else than his own pain and suffering. And how is this possible? Jesus has a promise. Jesus has a The promise. And God had been making this promise for years by the time Jesus' feet hit the ground. Isaiah articulates it in Isaiah 53. Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities." David wrote about this day, and Peter quotes his words at Pentecost. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. When Jesus stands at Lazarus' tomb, he prays to the Father who always hears him. This is the Father who, together with him and the Holy Spirit, the three in one, hatched this plan of salvation before they created all that we know. Jesus knows that God the Father is in this with him, and Jesus is utterly confident in the Father's promise for him. Jesus has the promise of the Father when he lays his life down willingly. He has the promise that God will raise it up again. But you should know that promise is all that Jesus has when he dies. This is the whole point of what I'm saying to you today. God the Father's promise to Jesus is all that Jesus has when he willingly lays down his life for you and for me. He dies without complaining. He dies with compassion. He dies without vengeance because he trusts the Father to keep his word. That's why it's important to remember year after year that on Friday night, Jesus is completely dead. Because on every Good Friday, we remember that we have a high priest who has completely identified with us. Jesus' only hope is that the Father will be as good as His Word and raise Him up from the dead. And that's all Jesus has. But apparently, the Word of the Father is enough. And for you and me, that's all we have as well. We don't have any miraculous ability to raise ourselves up after we die. We are completely dependent on the promise of God that he will raise us up on the day of the Lord. Our only hope is that God will keep his promises to us. And don't be confused. We do have promises, right? We do have promises. Don't let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Jesus says, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. We have the same promises that Jesus has. God will raise his children to eternal life. But we have one thing that Jesus didn't have. We have it a little easier. At Lazarus' tomb, Jesus shows that the power over life and death belongs to God. But when, when Jesus is raised to new life, the life in the age to come is revealed, and we get proof that God will keep his promises. And that's why we rejoice on Easter. Jesus lives, and because God can pull that off, and because he shows us the kind of body we're gonna get, we have confidence because we know what's coming for us. For the same body that Jesus gets is the body that we will get. And the same promise that Jesus had is the promise that we will have. And so if Jesus doesn't have to fear death, why would we? We can trust the Father who always keeps his promises. He will keep his promises to you and to me. We will be raised up on the last day, given new bodies like the glorious body that Jesus received after his resurrection. We can face all that life throws at us, even death itself, because Jesus is the validation that God does keep his promises, all of them. Because he lives, we too shall live. Thanks be to God. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To the one who is seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Gracious Father, We praise you for the joy that is ours this day. Because Jesus is alive, we know we too shall live. Amen. And now may the same power that brought back Jesus from the dead flow into each of us that we may bring him glory this day and always. that the new life in Christ may be ours in fullness and anchor our hope forever. Amen. Amen.